Hey, 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 we are back and it is time for the third installment of the Glowed podcast, which we will be using to discuss diffusion, culture, and how diffusion over time has shaped the culture within both of our cities, as well as how it shaped the culture at the time period that we have studied throughout the past two episodes. So grab some popcorn, take a seat, and let's jump in. Okay, so now that we know that we are going to be discussing culture and diffusion, let's go ahead and get started with our first segment. So the first checkpoint within um, Unit 3 talks about the introduction to culture. So what I really, you know, decided to focus on for this section was visual representations. So visual representations came in quite a variety pack for these two cities. I was actually able to find some photos, some video. Um, Documentaries were actually surprisingly helpful um, in my research for this because they had clips and things that they had compiled that saved me a little bit of time. But um, what I wanted to also focus on with that was what does this represent about culture? So, There was part of it that is representing the time period that we are specifically studying, which is the Cold War, and then there's part of it that is representing now. So for Moscow, the vast majority of the media was very political or military-focused. So when you think of Cold War Moscow, usually you're thinking, you know, the pictures of the soldiers with the straight arms marching down in the tanks. Um, riding down the street, you know, towards the Kremlin. That's kind of what I thought of. And that was actually what I found. So in that context, my assumption was pretty close to accurate. But when you put that in the context of the times, it's not really surprising, you know, to see that because during the Cold War, the military, there was so much emphasis put on that um, by the USSR and their government. Um, but Washington did paint a pretty pretty different picture for this one. So I actually found a broad range of media in Washington as far as what it represents. It fell into a variety of categories. But one thing that stu- stood out to me was modernization. So a lot of the pictures I saw was... Um, you know, brand new cars or the development of the suburbs, the building of some of the new um, federal department buildings. That was really new following uh, World War II. And there was just a lot of development and modernization that we see in um, media from that time period. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So now that we kind of know the themes that come from Um, the media that we've seen, we will jump into our next segment, which is the cultural landscape. So I had some really specific questions for this uh, section because in our AP videos, we talked about specific things we should be looking for within media, within visuals, or even in just general information. And they had it broken down into categories of physical features agricultural and economic practices, religious and linguistic characteristics, evidence of secret occupancy, 
traditional and modern architecture, and land use patterns. And so throughout the rest of this um, section and even the rest of the podcast, I'll probably be um, tying some of those different things in because when whatever falls under those categories really kind of helps us see what was important to the people living in these places during those times. And that's something I really took away from these videos. And so I'm going to try to tie that in there. So keep an eye out for that. So in Moscow, out of these categories, the thing that really stood out was economic practices and secret occupancy. Um, religion was also in there a little bit, but I'm going to talk about that in a few um, in a few minutes. So hold up on that. But secret occupancy to really understand how that relates to Moscow, we have to take the context into consideration, like we do in many of the other. Um, topics. So in that time period, um, the Cold War, the USSR had just seen a drastic change, not only in their leadership, but in their culture. So, um, you know, obviously shifting from more of a, you know, royal family style, traditional government, similar to that of Great Britain, but minus the parliament, um, to complete communism and dictatorship, like practically within a matter of a few weeks, there was a drastic shift in culture. And a lot of this um, stems from higher hierarchical, <laughs> I can barely say this, hierarchical, archical, <laughs> whatever, diffusion. Um, and there's different types of diffusion, which is kind of what we're going to be talking about today. But this is where it all kind of goes from people of power down to people of lesser power. So everything starts with the government under the communist state in the USSR during this time period. So whoever their leader was, which, you know, had changed over time, it had gone from Lenin and then, you know, down throughout until the fall of the Soviet Union later on in the 1900s. But it starts at the top and then it works its way down. And this really infiltrated every aspect of their society. Um, This is something that I didn't really think of a whole lot, but as the topic of diffusion continued to be brought up throughout um, our videos, that was something that I really saw over and over again, so I thought it was really interesting and worth noting. Um, Where before they had had a czar and royal family, now they had the communist government, and that really kind of set that in stone for the rest of the nation's existence. And then we also have um, something that's tied in there with different cultural elements, um, because the royal family and the czar also bring about very different cultural elements than um, a state-run society. And I think you can also see this in their economy, which was another one of those categories that uh, we learned about in our videos. So the economy was really in, um, very unstable, and part of this could be contributed to the provisional government, and it could be contributed to citizen opp- suppression, uh, prioritization of military. You know, that could really come from a lot of different things. But since that was one of our categories, um, that was another thing that I thought was definitely important to note. So some aspects of these different topics still remain in modern day Russia and Moscow, such as, you know, say the government secrecy that we've talked about in, you know, other checkpoints in pretty much every episode. 
Um, and even the economic practices, I haven't found, you know, a ton of visual representation of the economic practices, obviously, but I have read so much about that, especially the government secrecy as well, citizen oppression, and those things, they still exist today. We may not realize it as much, but it's still there. I've written a few um, of my choice articles on that, and it, you know, it's still very prevalent in their culture and society. So shifting to Washington, D.C., it paints a extremely different picture when it comes to these categories and what they deem as important. So like I said before, the focus is really on um, like development, the economy, things like that during this time period. And we see that obviously in our visual representations, like I talked about, you know, the cars and the building of the federal building, stuff like that. So um, in historical context, men were finally coming home from a really long, drawn-out war. We had just dug our way out of the worst depression in our nation's history. Um, the country was getting back on its feet, so now people wanted deve- to develop those new technologies. Not only did we have more manpower to do that, but people had more time to invest in these things. They had more money to invest. Um, and during the Cold War, obviously, the government and the people, they wanted to push new boundaries. And with the growth of, like, suburban life and 9 to 5, that type of stuff, people were eager to make a life for themselves. So um, to kind of answer our question about what both cultures saw as important within those categories, I would definitely say um, the economy was very important to Washington, D.C., uh, in that time period, uh, as we see with the modernization and um, in Moscow, also the economy, but I would also add into their uh, sequent occupancy where we went from um, the Tsar and the royal family to the communist state. So through our categories, we can kind of tell what was at the forefront of culture um, during that time period or, you know, even in modern day by kind of seeing how um, we use those different categories, what's at the front of each of those. Um, but the next section is about cultural patterns. So this could be taken a lot of different ways, and even the videos were kind of broad. Uh, but what I chose to focus on was land use patterns. When we talked about those in a previous video, it just kind of intrigued me. I had never thought through that before. Like, what you use your land for is what's valuable to you because each country is only given so much land. You know, even each city, Moscow and Washington, they are only allotted so much land. They cannot create more land. They can really do nothing to change the land that they're given, I guess, except, you know, war, changing of boundaries, things like that. So I just thought that that was kind of a unique take on things that what's most important to them is actually what they use their land for. So, for the first time, I think that Washington is actually a little bit more interesting um, under this category. So when I was thinking through the cultural patterns, my mind um, automatically went back to those visuals that I had talked back before or talked about uh, a few minutes ago. So in Washington, D.C., I saw a lot of suburban development and residential buildup. So this is kind of cool because it's really reflective of the time and culture. And there's a lot of things that you could tie that into. Like I just talked about, you know, people are coming from home from war. We see the growth of nine to five. And, you know, people are really pushing to build, you know, this picture perfect 
American dream, you know, family and life. So the federal government, another thing we could tie this into, we had just come out of the Franklin Roosevelt era in which the federal government was massively expanded. And the Cold War presidents that followed Roosevelt continued to expand the federal branch. Um, So this brought in not only new buildings and things like that and technologies, but it also brought in a lot of fresh talent, a lot of families, a lot of young people. Um, And on top of this, there's another thing at play. So this was when America really started to shift towards the living in cities metro type life. And so we continually, or I continually saw um, that a lot of people were being drawn to metro areas. So all of this kind of created a bit of a um, perfect storm, you could say, and it really made land use about developing homes and making or creating this suburban life that was really becoming the new thing throughout American culture. Our next segment walks us through the types of diffusion. So like I was kind of saying at the beginning of this episode, this episode is like a pinball machine. It's kind of all over the place. And so I'm trying to tie different elements in, but there were a few main focuses. So there were the types of diffusion. There was diffusion itself. There were the effects of diffusion. And then there were different categories that diffusion brings us. And so we've already kind of talked about diffusion in general and cultural landscapes. But now I want to kind of dig deeper and talk about the different types of diffusion and what that exactly means for our two places. So the types of diffusion are relocation, expansion, hierarchical, reverse hierarchical, and stimulus. So in Moscow, we mainly see hierarchical, which I talked about a little bit before, Um, but you may also see a bit of expansion. Now, expansion is less than hierarchical, but it, it is in there a little bit. So the system of government that they were under um, was very much so designed as a system of trickle-down morals, economics, religion, pretty much every aspect of culture. And so um, it was hierarchical, but that was very politically driven. Now, there's other countries um, that we see a lot of hierarchical diffusion that are not driven by political motivations. For example, like India and their caste system, which I know isn't exactly the same as it used to be. But um, it is something to notice and to think through because just because something's hierarchical does not mean that it's coming from a person of forceful power, like, you know, a political figure. Sometimes it's just their way of life that the rich and their... um, lifestyle eventually trickles down to the poor. But this is not the case in Moscow. It's pretty much strictly political. Um, So the turn away from religion, the shift of the economy, all of that was kind of derived from the communist state at the top and then kind of trickled down through society. Um, Washington was actually quite the opposite of this. I don't really see um, hierarchical diffusion almost at all in most of my research, but I did see a lot of reverse hierarchical diffusion. 
Um, there's some relocation and expansion also tied into there, too. So the American style of government was literally built to go from the bottom up. The average American, the everyday workers, the families, they're the ones that drive the economy and drive the culture. And so it, we see a pretty clear picture of reverse hierarchical, say, even in just our elections. Ultimately, the people, the everyday citizens, they're the ones that decide the direction of our country's, you know, political state. Um, that's just one example, but we can see that in lots of different areas of our culture. And obviously, I know that because I live here, but it's also seen in a lot of our political philosophies, even our constitution. Um, so we also see relocation, though, because like I was talking about earlier, during this specific time period, the federal government was growing. There was a lot of innovation. A lot of people were moving to the cities. So we actually see a lot of relocation diffusion because all these people are suddenly flocking to Washington, D.C. Um, so this is still kind of tied back into our previous subject, but it's still uh, kind of cool. You can see a little bit of a web forming. Hopefully I haven't lost you yet. But you can kind of see how each of these things ultimately tie back to each other and create the culture that we see today or would have seen during the Cold War in both of these cities. Now that we know the different types of diffusion and we've talked about um, what types of diffusion we see within our city specifically and how it you know kind of affects our cultural landscape, things like that, we can now dig deeper into diffusion to see what causes that. So there are two different types of causes for diffusion, and that is historical and contemporary. So in historical, I was wanting to think through more the city's history, but also the surrounding areas, because usually specific cities, um, they don't really, the things that happen to them aren't usually exclusive to them. It's usually the result of a bigger picture type of conflict or event that usually involves their entire nation. Um, so I usually try to think of these cities more so within the context of the entire country than just the city. And this is definitely no exception. So Moscow's historical context, um, it really varies on which type of diffusion I'm trying to tie it into. So I'm going to kind of do two separate ones. So hierarchical diffusion. Um, I already addressed this, so I'm not going to go very deep into it. But like we said, communist state, everything trickles down. And so the historical cause is communism, pretty much. The reason that hierarchical diffusion is so prominent in culture is because of the way of life that they were exposed to and forced to live for so long, that's just ingrained in people and it's passed down um, through different generations and children, things like that. So that, you know, at its root is the main historical cause for this type of diffusion, at least in Moscow. Um, so the second one is relocation or the lack thereof. This one's a bit tricky because Obviously, there's no reverse relocation uh, diffusion, but relocation diffusion usually plays some type of role uh, in any culture, literally almost any. But this one, I more saw a lack of relocation diffusion. Um, the USSR as a whole, due to the really extreme government, was very limited in travel abilities. Um, very few people were able to come or go. Um, 
just like the Berlin Wall, you cannot even just cross the Berlin Wall. So their cultural exposure was slim to none. Um, But that's just something to think about. Like maybe the Russian culture uh, has stayed the same for so long and they've stuck with so many things that were ingrained in them, not only because they were under it for so long, but because they've never really had the opportunity to learn anything different. Now, that is different for the younger generations, but, you know, some of these people that that's all they knew growing up in, you know, communist Soviet Union, like, that may be the cause of why they really haven't changed or shifted culturally, and um, maybe that's why that it's, you know, stayed the same for so long, whereas a lot of other cultures um, tend to shift away from hierarchical diffusion, at least like in the 21st century. But I don't know, maybe that's the cause. That's also speculation. So don't take that as fact. But it's just kind of something that got me thinking. So moving on to Washington, D.C. for this one, The U.S. is a land of immigrants, and I really saw this as the greatest historical effect on diffusion. So the United States is a very young country, like relative to other nations. It's an extremely young country. Um, People came here um, from England, so it's not like, you know, we've (laughs) had our native nation for like forever or whatever. We're literally completely made up of immigrants. And That's so cool that our nation really didn't have its own culture. It was shaped by the coming together of so many other cultures, which I don't want to go far into that because I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Um, But the historical cause for diffusion in the U.S. mainly is immigration uh, because we're formed by immigrants. um, And this has brought all different types of diffusion, uh, but mostly relocation and Washington specifically, I mean, it does have its own culture, but it's made up of so many other cultures as well, especially being a metro area within the U.S. and being um, the nation's capital. There's a lot of different cultures that come there specifically, you know, for example, like Chinatown or the Italian district, which Washington, D.C. has some of the best Italian food in the country, just FYI if you're ever there. But those are great examples, whereas Yes, Washington has kind of its own quote-unquote culture. There's a lot of other subcultures that are still a part of it. So now that we have analyzed the historical causes for diffusion in our two cities, we need to move on to the flip side, which is contemporary causes of diffusion. Now, I am not a big fan of this one. It's kind of a trick question because we're focusing on a different time period in history. So how do I talk about contemporary causes but in history? So I'm going to do my best to kind of turn from the, you know, Cold War era (laughs) and back to modern day. Um, But I think the time period in history is still greatly affecting modern culture. So I think they're still kind of tied together, even if it is contemporary causes for diffusion. So for Moscow, there's still the hierarchy mindset um, causing the primary source of diffusion to be hierarchical, which we already talked about. Um, But one thing that has changed is people are able to travel more freely now. So though some of the older generations may not have changed or adapted due to a lack of relocation diffusion, um, we are starting to see a little bit of change. You know, some of the younger generation is being exposed to Western culture and they're taking parts of that back with them and 
you know, slowly loosening um, the grip of government in everyday lives and culture, things like that. Um, So, yes, it's still very similar to the Cold War. But, yes, there's also some things that are shifting, which is a good thing to see. We want to see people um, being able to fuse different cultures together and learn from people of other nations, things like that. And so that's actually a really cool thing to see. And I'm really glad that they're getting that experience. So one other thing that this has kind of changed in modern times, it's also allowed other companies to bring business into Russia, which does help um, the economy, which we talked about at the very beginning of this episode. So the economy was a problem in the Cold War, definitely a prominent issue, but that has helped a little bit. Um, So Not only are they traveling out, but others are also able to travel in, such as companies, and this has really um, changed the landscape um, economically, culturally, Uh, even though most of the Russian culture, you could say, is still pretty similar to that of the Cold War as far as, like, hierarchical diffusion, things like that. So in the United States, um, cities and metro areas have become an absolute population magnet. Now, this started following World War II, which we discussed earlier, but it has only gained steam over time. So, I would say a contemporary cause for Washington, D.C.'s growth is still a relocation diffusion and the magnet of metro areas and um, urban living. So, um, as more and more Americans are moving to cities, which I definitely saw reflected in the census data that I've looked through. Um, Not only is it relocation diffusion, but it's a great example of stimulus diffusion as well um, because it starts slowly. You know, people are starting to kind of move towards city living and before you know it, it has gained steam and now it's like completely changing the landscape of urban living. Uh, One thing that I thought was kind of interesting this actually really drives up the cost of living. If you actually look at the average cost of living in an urban area compared to a um, rural area back like pre-World War II, the gap between the cost of living was not near as much as it is today. Um, So total side note, but Washington, D.C. is one of the most expensive Um, cities to live in in the United States. And I just thought that was a really interesting tie as I was looking at some, you know, old data between the Cold War and the cost of living when this was brought to my attention. I thought that that was, you know, something to note that relocation diffusion um, can have (laughs) some other effects besides just cultural. It can have a lot of uh, economic effects as well. So now we not only know what diffusion is, but we also know the types of diffusion. We know causes of diffusion. Now we're going to talk about what is being diffused. (laughs) Um, So this next category focuses on religion and language. Uh, Now, I didn't really want to dive into language too much because the places that I'm discussing, um, they're pretty straightforward on language uh, in Washington, D.C., Pretty much everything is strictly um, English, though if they're going to have, you know, some form of like, I guess, a lingua franca type of style, it would be Spanish. Um, And in Moscow, it's pretty much strictly Russian standard, but 
I guess if they were going to have some form of a lingua franca, it would be English. And so I didn't really want to dive into that because it's, to be honest, kind of dull. I did look into a little bit, but there's just not a lot happening there. So I decided to focus more on religion. And for this one, I wanted to not only focus on um, what was the religion during the time period, how did it get there, but I also wanted to kind of think through what's the religion now why has it, or what, you know, what has changed and why has it changed? So, um, religion in Moscow is a bit, um, a bit of murky waters, but religion in American life is a hundred percent normal. Like it's deeply ingrained (laughs) into American culture. So the first settlers came literally to practice religion freely. Um, our founding fathers, they established the nation, based on Christian principles, um, and they were all beliefs that they held personally, too. Many of the founding fathers were actually Christians, um, and many aspects of our culture still revolve around faith. So the diffusion of religion has drastically changed the religious landscape of America, though. Um, Some things have stayed the same, such as we are still, I guess, considered a Christian nation, Um, and we were very predominantly Christian at first, but now, due to mostly... I'd say relocation diffusion. We actually have quite the blends of faith, such as Islam, Hinduism, Christianity, Buddhism, um, and even broader scopes of each of those. You know, there's different denominations underneath those, as well as a variety of other um, European type um, orthodoxies, things like that. And uh, like I said, kind of comes from relocation diffusion, a pretty much a given. So. America, like we said earlier, is mainly just built of immigrants. And so as the immigrants would come, they would bring their native religion with them. Um, And voila, we now have quite the melting pot of religions throughout the United States. Now, Moscow is quite the opposite when it comes to religion. Um, That's not a surprise at all. It's pretty much the opposite in most everything. But it's actually not a very religious place, which I was surprised to um, find because um, usually throughout Europe, there's a lot of, you know, Catholics, those types of things, um, because those were the that was the birthplace of so many different types of religion. Um, But yeah, it's not very religious. So uh, to talk about religious diffusion would be more to talk about the lack thereof. (laughs) Um, like the relocation diffusion earlier. So communism as a philosophy kind of makes the state somewhat of a religion itself. Now, I know that sounds like super bizarre, super crazy. Um, but if you dig deeper into the philosophy, it's almost like a um, humanism type of religion. Um, and it's almost like a religious mindset. So in Moscow, religion was actually not very common. Uh, due to the tight religious restrictions that were set by the USSR. So, therefore, religious diffusion uh, wasn't really happening at all because there were um, strict regulations, but also there wasn't a lot of relocation diffusion in general because they weren't allowing many people into the country. So it was hard for others to bring different types of religions with them. So that has changed a little bit over time. They're currently predominantly Russian Orthodox, Uh, But it's still not a very spiritual place because faith was not emphasized for such a long time um, under the government of the USSR. And faith is definitely handed down through generations. And so if you have 
multi-generations or multiple generations that went with no faith at all, it's highly unlikely that um, all of the sudden an entire generation is going to turn back to a faith that they were never taught. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, it won't eventually become a more faith-based nation, but it hasn't happened yet. So uh, I think that it could in the future because obviously since they do have the Russian Orthodox um, dominance there, it's obviously something's changing and religion is diffusing, um, but, but it's a slow process. We'll say that. We have finally made it to our last section, which is 3.8, and it is about the effects of diffusion. So we now know the different types of diffusion. We know the causes of diffusion. We know what is diffused. And finally, we must know what are the long-term effects of diffusion or what changes because of diffusion. So there are four main types of effects of diffusion, or I guess you could call it that, whatever. It wasn't given a specific title. But there's acculturation, which is when... um, A group or culture adopts certain elements of a culture, um, usually the prominent ones, but it does not adopt the entire culture. They do not completely assimilate into a new culture. Then the next option is assimilation, um, and that's when a minority group, they eventually adopt the prominent culture. That's when they pretty much completely blend into a new culture. Sometimes it's forced, uh, such as in um, like the Native Americans and when the United States expanded westward, they forced them to adapt to English culture. Then the third is syncretism, and that's when two different cultures merge together and they create something new, or maybe they create a culture that's kind of a blend of elements of each of the two cultures that merge together. Then the fourth is multiculturalism, and that's when multi multiple cultures are all within one society, and they're together, but they stay separate. So you may have, like, Washington, D.C., like we used the example earlier, where you have, you know, like the U.S. financial district, then you have Chinatown, then you have the Italian district. Now, all of those are together in one culture, one city, but the different parts of those cultures, they stay separate. They don't adapt and change to fit one mold. Now, how does this tie into Moscow and Washington, D.C.? I kind of wanted to use this section as a bit of a recap um, to walk through each step of this checkpoint or this unit, and ultimately that will help us draw the conclusion as to what effects diffusion had on our cities both in the Cold War era and even now. So from what you've seen throughout the checkpoint, we've seen a pattern of a few dominant types of diffusion, a few categories, and these have really shaped the cultural landscape of both the cities. So in Moscow, we've seen mostly hierarchical diffusion uh, throughout the Cold War, and even now, though, that is slightly shifting. In Washington, D.C., we be, we see both relocation, reverse hierarchical, and stimulus diffusion. Uh, we see the effects of historical causes and hierarchical diffusion in the religious landscape of modern-day Moscow, just like we we're saying um, part of the reason that religion isn't uh, very prevalent in their culture is hierarchical diffusion because religion was not um, necessarily a favorite of the communist state at the time. Um, but it's 
a historical cause and it's also hierarchical diffusion. So those are kind of tied together to give us the long-term effect of um, a lack of emphasis on religion, if you'd like to call it that, or pretty much just religion is not prominent in their culture. But we also see contemporary causes of diffusion throughout Russia um, stemming from the changed yet still uh, pretty corrupt government. So the um, modern day Russian government, they aren't exactly a clean slate, but they're better than it was during the Cold War. So that is a contemporary diffusion or a contemporary cause of diffusion that has allowed for a lot of cultural shifts, you know, throughout the past few decades um, within Moscow. So we also have the historical causes of stimulus diffusion that have affected the cost of living in Washington, D.C., just like we talked about earlier, how all of a sudden, you know, slowly people start moving towards urban areas, and then it becomes an absolute population magnet driving up the cost of living. And this is also tied into relocation diffusion, which determines our land use patterns, Um, Don't forget land use patterns is one of the categories that we can use to determine what's important to a city, a place, region, whatever that we talked about at the beginning of the unit. So now that we know all of these categories and where our cities fit into them, uh, I kind of started questioning what the outcome was. You know, how is this going to continue to affect the region? This is a lot of words and a lot of different terms and stuff, but just, you know, Plain Jane, what is the overall effect going to be? So um, what I ultimately came down to in Moscow is that the basic outcome is um, assimilation, which was one of the categories that I just mentioned. So in Moscow, there's a lot of emphasis on uniformity that kind of stems from the historical diffusion of hierarchy or the historical cause of hierarchical uh, diffusion and um, uh, from well, I won't, I wouldn't necessarily say that, but a very uh, formidable culture in the sense that like everything kind of blends into one and everybody is expected to blend into one um, culture block. Now, uh, I would call this forced uniformity within cultures and adaptation. Um, and it generally was demanded of immigrants, but there also wasn't a lot of immigrants. So I didn't have a lot of hard data to go off of that. Uh, But we can generally speaking assume that any immigrants that did go in were forced to adapt and assimilate the same as if they were um, a Russian national. So the U.S., it's kind of a mix of effects or outcomes, in my opinion. They've they've had incidents of assimilation, such as the mistreatment of, you know, Native Americans that I already discussed. But um, first of all, that was before the time period we're studying. And second of all, it wasn't really specifically in Washington, D.C. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't address it um, because it did affect Washington, D.C., I guess, inadvertently, but Washington is on the far east coast, and most of these things were occurring towards the western territories, um, or at least that's what they were at the time. So that leaves us with syncretism, which I believe is the final result um, of all the elements that we've talked about in Washington. So syncretism is when different cultures blend together to kind of create one new one. And if we want to talk about 
the overall history of the United States, it is no, there is no better example of syncretism. You know, we're often called the great melting pot and we pride ourselves on the rainbow of cultures and diversity that we have. And Washington, D.C. has built its own culture, but it's been built from all the diffusion of other cultures. They've all blended together to make the America that we know today. So, for example, once again, Chinatown, many of its restaurant owners may be Chinese natives and they have touches of Chinese cuisines offered at the restaurants, but you know what? They'll probably still serve the orange chicken with a Coke, and the orange chicken is likely not identical to what you would find in Beijing. So though there are aspects of Chinese culture built in, all these different cultures have merged together um, to form a new culture. Now, it may not be um, completely separate from the other ones. There may be still... Um, some separation, but I still consider this a great example of syncretism. Well, that wraps up our show for today. Hopefully, somewhere in there, you were able to kind of follow me along the path. I know that, um, I know that it got a little confusing there, and it was a lot of information and definitions and weird terms that you may not be familiar with, but I did my best to try to tie it all together. So, Throughout this, we talked about visual representation and media in 3.1 and the introduction of culture. Then we talked about specific categories that form cultural landscapes. And then we kind of turned our attention to um, subcategories and some different things that piqued my interest, like specifically land use patterns. Then we went on to diffusion. We talked about the different types of diffusion, the causes of diffusion, what is diffused before finally landing on the outcome of diffusion and its effects on not only the history of the places that we've discussed, but how it will continue to affect our two cities. Thank you so much for hopping on today and listening. I really appreciate it. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to leave them for me. I will read them and get back to you and I hope you have a great day.